KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. The idea that really changed my life was in my fourth year when my first player invited me to his wedding and the first group of players started to have kids. Then I realized that this wasn't a four-year commitment. It was a forever commitment. And that really started to change my outlook on what we want our program to be. And our guest this episode, the head men's basketball coach at Division Three Gwinnett Mercy University, John Barron. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. It's going to be uh, fun to talk a little bit about sports when we've been four or five months without it. Yeah, absolutely. And full disclosure to start this episode, John and I did go to college together, although I think at the time we didn't quite really realize it. Uh, You were a year ahead of me uh, at your college of Pennsylvania. Yeah, I was uh, an end of the bench player uh, and you were on the radio, but uh, I had a fun time at York, learned a lot from Coach Gamber and... uh, kind of started my uh, my interest in wanting to remain in basketball so no doubt um, still talk to some of those guys and uh, it's just been a, it was a, a learning experience that kind of jump-started my career I think so before we delve into your coaching career uh, what have the last few months been like for you from because you guys finished your season correct you guys were able to finish your season before everything went sideways yeah, unfortunately for us as a as a as a team, um, we lost in our championship game. We had a really good season. We were twenty three and seven, um, but going into the playoffs, we lost. We split with Wesley College in Delaware, who had a really good team as well, and, uh, and we tied at the end of the regular season, and they won the tiebreaker. So our championship game was at their place, um, and they got the automatic, so quote unquote, automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. Fortunately, though, for us, we um, were in the ECAC tournament. So the next best 12 teams or so in a four or five state um, radius. And we were the number one seed. We hosted that uh, and we had a really good run. And we actually won that on the Sunday prior to COVID shutting everything down. It's the first time in my career that uh, I I ended a season on a win. (laughs) So So what what a what kind of conversations have you been having with the kids? What are the discussions like? Uh, how much are you able to, 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 to reach out? And I'm sure you're doing a lot of zoom stuff. And that's all we've been doing. I mean, ironically, uh, I didn't even know what zoom was two weeks before all this stuff happened, but I learned pretty quickly, like a lot of coaches and administrators at higher ed. Um, I've been keeping in contact. Uh, originally we were kind of doing weekly meetings, um, you know, all the guys were still in school. Obviously, we they all shipped out and went home. I have uh, guys from Florida on my team. I have a, guy, a kid from New Orleans, so we had to make sure they got home. So we just started to do some Zoom stuff, just kind of keeping in touch, making sure um, the guys still understood that some of the academic services that um, are typically on campus were still available virtually. So, uh, yeah, it was good to kind of catch up. And uh, we had a little agenda the guys just took over and it actually ended up being like fun times for like 15 or 20 minutes listening to everybody talk. How do you feel the, the kids are handling it? I mean, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it just stinks for everybody. Let's be honest, despite your age, whether you're 50 or you're 20 or you're even eight or nine, I think it's a, it's a challenging time. No doubt. Um, you know, I talk to these guys, I think some of them are starting to open up. Uh, and, and being able to get out to an outdoor court and shoot and things. But summer leagues are canceled for high school kids. Uh, there's no AAU. 
you know, I guess if there's a positive for me personally, I got to spend a lot of time with my 16 and 17 year old. And I only have, you know, one more year with my daughter before she goes off to college and two years for my son. So, uh, you know, from a positive perspective, you know, we only quarantined for six or seven weeks and we spent a lot of time together. And uh, typically in the spring, I'm running around, my son's playing AU, my daughter's in the musical and doing a whole bunch of stuff and we're all going in different directions. So family time was actually a, a benefit, no doubt. So let's talk about your basketball career. What's your earliest basketball memory? Well, I, I grew up in Philadelphia. So, uh, you know, I played basketball since, you know, since birth or so. I remember playing for the Alney Eagles, um, you know, growing up at A and Champ lost, um, which is still kind of there. Um, but, you know, I remember playing CYO basketball in seventh, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And then I went on to play um, basketball at Central High School. I was a public school kid. Um, unfortunately, was unable to go to one of the Catholic schools. At that time, my Catholic school was Cardinal Doherty. Um, and I just took a real big interest. I think I always understood more than I could do. I was kind of like not necessarily a fundamental kid. I just kind of learned and picked up things really quickly. Just wasn't as athletic as the next kid or you know, I was a really good shooter, but other than that, I couldn't handle like the other kids, but I always, uh, stayed in and I started in my senior year in high school and then, you know, was able to kind of go to York college and walk on and, and meet all those guys and had a chance to play a little bit there too. As a youngster, you mentioned like you couldn't handle it, the other kids and stuff like that. Was it tough to accept that? I mean, you could shoot, but the other things that did, did you kind of, were you comfortable with your own ceiling? at that young age because it's tough. Well, I mean, I was just like a tougher mental kid, you know, like I, I grew up in a, in a medium neighborhood. So I was always playing basketball. I was actually a better baseball player. I was a pretty good baseball player, um, through all my years, but I always loved basketball better. Um, you know, but I don't want to act like I I was some like left field kid. I mean, I, I was, I was decent enough to play. And I, I mean, I played, you know, varsity for two years in high school and stuff, but I just wasn't like this, you know, scholarship type of player. My son um, is very, very skilled. And as a sophomore in high school, and I always talk about how much w- more skilled he ever, he is or, or than I ever was because he's left-hand, right-hand dribble, shoot, he's bigger, stronger. Um, I just think back in the 90s and really in the 80s, late 80s, when I was in grade school, there wasn't AAU, there wasn't basketball camps, there wasn't high schools um, working out two and three times, you just went to your local playground. And my playground had some awesome guys. I mean, Lionel Simmons and Tim Legler are about three or four years older than me. That's near where I, like LaSalle and Temple is near where I grew up. And um, Jason Lawson, who played at Villanova, played at my playground. Catino Mobley, who was two years younger. I remember, like, Cat wasn't even good enough to play in seventh and eighth grade. Next thing you know, he's like some star. And where did this guy come from? He was a longtime NBA player. So some, I was like fortunate enough just to be around a whole bunch of guys that I didn't even know. I didn't even understand. And then as I got older in the coaching, I realized how fortunate I was to be in an area where all the guys went to be in on the B&O playground, Zyler playground. And that's where everybody in the Howard Evans was another one that used to come all the time. He was in college. So it was just a fun time looking back on. It. I just kind of didn't know it at that time. So why did you choose your college? out in central PA, about two hours outside of Philadelphia. I actually went to Lock Haven University for my first year. 
and I played baseball there and that's division two. And I played baseball, but I was a city kid and I couldn't, um, I, I hated being three and a half hours away at Lock Haven. It was just too rural for me. Uh, met some people, um, and I was considering transferring to Millersville. And when I went to Millersville, I actually visited York College also. It's a unique story how I got to York because um, Brett Adams, who is the athletic director right now at Stevenson, was the assistant coach at um, York College. So my girlfriend at the time, my, my college girlfriend, lived between York and Millersville, and I was home one weekend, and I was going to go to Millersville. And we, I met a bunch of her high school friends, and we went out to play at Springsbury Courts, which is out in, um, near the mall, the Galleria Mall in York. And ironically, Brett Adams at that time was probably 25, and he was the assistant coach at York, and he... Uh, we we get on the same team like we play pickup and we win like seven games in a row and in that whole time I start talking to him he asked me where I go and I tell him I'm going to go to the Millersville and he's kind of the one that said I think you could help us at York um, and then that's how the conversation started and that's how I started to visit and it's a t- whole weird twist of fate how he went on to be a, the basketball coach at Villa Julie which is now Stevenson moved on to athletic director. I got into high school coaching and then college, and it's just a weird twist of feet, I guess. So when you transfer to York, what are your some memories? Because you played with some really, really good Division three players during that, that stretch. Yeah, Dan Johnson and, and Jeff Mann are the two. Scott, um, you know, so the, Dean Gamber's my year. Jeff Landis, Dave Sapala, you know, those guys um, – you know, the, those that are listening don't know those guys, but they were really good Division three players. And I think kind of it's – when I look back on my career, I, I didn't even know what I was – I was navigating and by accident when it comes to basketball. When I was a high school coach, I stayed in contact with, with Coach Gamber about certain things. And then when I had a chance to go to Ursinus after three years of being a high school coach, I, I took it, took that chance, and – um you know, it was a volunteer position, but I kind of knew I wanted to move on and see what college was like. And I lived close to Ursinus, um, and then it just took off from there, from Ursinus to Gwinnett. And ironically, I kind of reconnected with those guys. I don't know if you know that Jeff Landis was a high school coach in Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Dave Palace's son's really good in Lancaster now, and so is Jeff's son, who I think they're both seniors. Um, you know, I still talk to Dean. Dean was still in coaching with his dad and then to Gettysburg. And I think he worked at Stevenson too for Brett. So some of those guys, you know, I became probably closer, uh, in terms of talking to them more often after college than maybe even when we were there. Was coaching always on the radar through high school, college? Did you figure it was going to be a part of your life and did you want to make it the focus of your life? Yeah, I definitely didn't think it was going to be the focus, but it definitely was going to be a part of my life. So I graduated with an elementary and middle school um, certification, education certification, and that was what I wanted to do. Originally, I wanted to be a principal um, and work my way through education, maybe even into um, into um, superintendent kind of was like my my focus. Um, I, I taught for 14 years and many people don't know that um, I actually, when I did become the head coach at Gwinnett in 2002, I taught seventh grade all the way to 2011, and I was part-time head coach. So to go backwards, um, I, I 
I knew I wanted to coach and I was a high school coach. I was actually a, um, a high school girls coach at our school. Um, and then I wanted to move to the boys side, started coaching the boys when the Ursinus uh, situation kind of presented itself. And like I said, back a few minutes ago, I always was, I was like a sponge. I always liked coaching. I always liked watching quite honestly, I struggle to watch college games on TV because I'm not just watching for the fun of it. I, I take some things down. Sometimes I go back on synergy the next day and go back to three minutes left to go in the Kentucky game and I'm writing an out of bounds play down. So it kind of like was like that obsessive guy that always was trying to get better. Um, but when, you know, I was focused on teaching and I taught, like I said, seventh grade for a long time, got my master's degree in administration and thought I was going to go that route. But at her sinus is when I kind of realized that I thought I was pretty good at this and I wanted to try my hand in it. Um, went to Gwinnett as an assistant, still taught. Um, and then when the head coaching job presented itself, I was kind of in the right spot at the right time. I don't know if it was necessarily my time yet. There were many assistants have to spend six and seven years and try and work around. And I was only an assistant for three years. But at that time, um, you know, the internet wasn't all that prevalent, you know, it's 2001, um, you know, to bring guys in to interview wasn't, you know, at a smaller school, isn't like it is today. If I resigned, there'd be 300 people across the country apply for my job. Um, but at that time there was probably a dozen and it just, I, I knew the people on campus and I got the job. Um, and then just a few years later, I didn't want to teach anymore. And I did it because of my career. Um, but then when Gwen had talked about full time, I definitely wanted to do that. So it kind of grew into my passion instead of what I thought my passion was going to originally be when I started teaching back when I was 22. So you get the head coaching job. What are you, 28, 27, 28? Uh, I was 20, I was 29, 29. So you're, that's young for head coaching. Yeah. You're only six, seven years older than probably your oldest player. Yeah. Did that, was that tough? Did it make it easier? Was it not really a factor? Um, it was, I, it, it's a, a, a weird story because I, as an assistant for two years, and I, I run my, my, my staff like this now. We have a younger assistant whose job is to be the liaison between the, the guys and me. But I was that guy at 26 and 7 as the two-year assistant. So when I became the head coach, I was – the cool guy and with the older guys who are now juniors and seniors. And, you know, I talk about this when I, when I recruit, you know, for, for three or four years, I just wanted to win. It was just about basketball, basketball, basketball. And over all my time, it's so much more than just winning games. It's about relationships. And, you know, I talked to Joel and Davis, who was a senior my first year, who's 41 years old. I talked to him like every week and Ironically, we laugh about stuff because they really did look at me as this older person. And I didn't consider myself this older person when I was only 28. Um, so it was not a hard tra transition because they really liked me already. But then now, you know, as I recruit other guys, there became a, you know, a, a kind of like a transition time that they have to understand what they're there for, the expectations. But it, the older guys liking me at the beginning helped my transition for the two years before the whole team became mine. So I think it was your second year as head coach. You guys go to the NCAA tournament and you go to the Sweet 16. Yeah. 
what does that feel right? And you're like, oh, not that this is easy, but I think I'm good at this. Sweet 16, this is going to be life. And do you have more of an appreciation for that now further removed? Because you've gone to the tournament, but to have that type of success right away, what was kind of that like at 30 years old? Yeah, it was. Um, it's a unique situation, too, because, um, you know, my first year it was – you know, kind of deciding how I was going to run my team versus how the previous coach who I, who I had, a, you know, a good relationship with and how he ran his. Um, so my first year we were 13 and 13 and we had ups and downs and all arounds and we knew we needed to recruit, but we had a nucleus of four really good players. Um, and, and many people talk about Badu Gay at that time, who was probably ultimately our best player ever, um, was a six, nine stud that, doesn't never came around again. I never had a kid like him uh, come around. It was kind of being lucky that we got him, but we knew we needed to put more pieces around. And we recruited three kids that year. Uh, Rashid Santiago to run our team as a freshman point guard, uh, Chris Labraco, who was a shooter, and Corey Cam, uh, who was also a shooter. And he was a transfer. And we added him to the group that we had of Jeff Thomas and Jolan Davis and Courtney Griffin and, um, and Badu, obviously, and Joe Kelpatrick. And then next thing you know, you know, we had, you know, a, a solid eight or nine. We start off the season that year eight and one. And we go to Florida to play in a, in a tournament against a Division II team, Palm Beach Atlantic. We beat them. And next thing you know, I'm like, are we really this good? Like, we're getting attention. And I don't know if we're really this good. And then it just kind of just was a whirlwind. And, um, you know, we were number one ranked in the region. Um, we beat uh, Catholic University in the NCAA tournament who won the national championship the year before, who was a nemesis to York College all those years. So I knew of them. And then, uh, yeah, we had this success, but, you know, we've been fortunate to be there six times total. I say the same thing to every single team when we get in. Enjoy the journey. It's not about what, you know, happens in the next couple games or one game, um, but enjoy the time that we're here. And as older guys, you know, I don't know if I'm ever getting back. So I don't want you to, you know, miss this couple of days of the week leading up to it. And I try and put a, a premium on understanding that it's not about the end point. It's about the journey, that, uh, how we got here and these next week of preparation and have some fun and, you know, understand that you're going to look back on this time as probably the best, you know, situation basketball wise that you've ever had. You mentioned early on for you it was winning, 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 and it was all the focus and obviously as you get older. But what changed? Was there an event or was it just kind of life slows down for you a little bit? You start to to see the bigger picture. What kind of changed for you? I think, I mean, I, again, this is basically what I tell parents when I first meet them sitting in my office prior to taking them on a tour. I mean, I talk, about, I talk to them for about 15 minutes, get to know them a little bit. And I talk about those first three years that the only thing I knew was basketball. You know, I didn't understand how to help them academically yet. And, and that became something that we developed. I'm pretty philosophical when it comes to things. I say we, we, we try and get the right people. And I continuously work on the process and the product has come along with it. So, so from a coaching perspective, recruiting perspective, it's the right people. I'm working on philosophies, the process all the time, whether it's how we're preparing for a game, uh, academic philosophy on, you know, that's runs on its own now. And we have academic resource center stuff. 
alumni process, how we're playing defense, how we're playing. I mean, it can go on forever. And unfortunately, if you work on those two things, the product typically comes along with it. And it's not always wins and losses, but it's graduation and guys uh, getting jobs and like, you know, moving on in their job. I have state police officers now that are sergeants and moved on into that. So every coach can talk about this, but those are my three kind of like words that I use people uh, process and product. Um, And what happened really, the, the idea that really changed my life was in my fourth year when my first player invited me to his wedding and first group of players start to have kids. And then I realized that this wasn't a four year commitment. It was a forever commitment. And I use that line all the time that this isn't a a four year commitment. It's going to be forever. And that really started to change my outlook on how we were going to recruit and how we were going to present what we want our program to be. Time for a break here on One on One. We will have more with Gwyneth Mercy men's basketball coach John Barron right after this. Hey, everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers, and changemakers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we're back. Our guest this week is Gwetted Mercy men's basketball coach John Barron. How would you describe, purely from the basketball standpoint, your coaching style? I'm a recruit. I'm a not very good <laughs> basketball player, but I'm a recruit for you. What are you telling me about what I'm stepping into if I become a Griffin? So we play the Kansas offense, and we've been doing it for many, many years. Um, and Two years ago was the first year where we didn't really, or I'm sorry, three years ago, where we only had one really good big kid. In in past years, we've had multiple. Um, So we've basically kind of, I don't want to say the word deviated necessarily. We kind of um, changed how we play a little bit based on the team that we had. But ultimately, the focus is on guards forwards. I don't like to pigeonhole players into the old school. You're the one, you're the two, you're the three. We play guards and forwards. And we like big kids that can shoot. And typically nowadays, you know, at our level, six, seven, six, six kids want to play at the three-point line anyway. So there are many opportunities for the big kid to do that. And then we talk about our guards having to be able to handle. So, Many times in the years, I'll just use back a couple of years ago, we recruited Rich Dunham, who was our best player this past year, to come on to a team with Darnell Artis. And Darnell Artis, you know, um, and, and Justin Knight and guys like that, um, C.J. Wolf, they all were point guards at some point in their careers. But they were able to play together. And Rip Engel was a point guard. And they all played on the same team because it didn't necessarily mean they had to be the point guard. As long as you can dribble and score, then you can play and we can figure out the combinations that work best. So my ultimate kind of selling point is that big kids are going to be able to get out and run, play around the perimeter and around the basket. And guards are going to have the freedom to be able to learn what we want them to do and still be themselves inside of our offense. 
if I talk to you back in 2002, 2003, and I tell you you will still be the head coach at Gwinnett Mercy in 2020, is young John Barron surprised? Um, maybe. I mean, I, I think I wanted to move on, you know, ultimately throughout the time. And I know that even now I wonder what will I, will I do in five or six years when my, my kids are, are, are out of the house and in college or maybe just out of the college. But, you know, it's, you know, I'm happy where I, I've been. You know, I've been happy at Gwinnett. Um, you know, I got married and started to have kids. We opened up a family business, um, which kind of, kind of old, made a stay in the area. So then the, the gamut of colleges that I might've been able to go to shrunk tremendously, you know, from a division two perspective, there's a handful in our area. Um, you know, there was one or two times that, you know, I received the call about some different, you know, jobs and, I entertain talking to it, uh, to them. But in the end, if, again, kind of the same business philosophy, Gwinnett as an as a institution, I feel has the right people. I mean, our administration's great to our athletic department. Our, my athletic director is great to me. The process, they're always trying to be better. And then the product is that they allow me to coach my team. So the same kind of philosophy fits on why I'm happy because of – you know, going to work never feels like work to me. And I'm able to, you know, work with really good people. So I don't know if I would have, if you would have asked me at a young age, I probably would have said I'm not going to be there, but I, I don't regret staying where I've been for so long. You've won well over 300 games. We talked about the Sweet 16, six NCAA tournaments, conference championships. If I'm talking to you, give me one or two games that, are at the top of the list whenever you take that step back and reflect on your career. Are there a couple that just stand above the rest? Uh, the first memory that comes to mind is how we get to the Sweet 16. Okay, so um, it's just it's just a basketball philosophy thing. So from that day at Catholic University, uh, we, when we played Catholic University till today, I foul up three. <laughs> so I'll give you the scenario when you're up three. I mean, I watch TV, watch these, you know, big time million, million dollar coaches and some guys don't foul, but you know, um, my philosophy now is you must fail up three because not only do you have to make the first, you have to miss the second, your team, that team has to get the rebound and then they have to make a shot. So four things have to go perfectly right. And the odds of that are in your favor. Versus if you don't foul, all they have to do is make a shot, one thing. Um, so go back to that. So I'll never forget, um, you know, we, we, we're there into the round of 32 when we're playing the defending national champions, or at least maybe there were two years before that they won the national championship. But Mike Lonergan was there. He was the, you know, kind of like the guru along with Glenn Robinson at, at, at FNM. They, I, they don't even know my name. We're at this tiny school that's grown tremendously in the last 15 years. But, like, we had, like, one dorm, and, and like, uh, it was a commuter, primarily all commuters, and I had this really good group. But, unfortunately, we win our championship game, and the next week is spring break. So, Catholics come in to play us. Mike Lonergan gets there and, and can't believe how small the school is. Like, he's pissed that he has to actually play at our school. And we, I go out 15 minutes before the game. And everybody's in red. 
there's like 10 Gwinnett fans. It's our family. Nobody's, I feel like I'm playing away. There's 1,200 people there and 1,125 of them are for Catholic. Every time we scored, nobody cheered. Every time they scored, it went nuts. So we're beating them the whole time. Um, and with four seconds left, we're up three. We make a foul shot to go up three. We go into the timeout. Um, and Mike Lannigan calls timeout. And I decide not to foul. That's kind of like where this all changed. And I'll never forget. So if you look at the whole long court, they're underneath. They got to go the full length, 94 feet. They throw it diagonally away in the left-hand side. The ball gets tipped, though, on, on the uh, – I put Badu on the, on the ball. So he tips it. So the clock starts. And it's in the air on – so it's going four, three, two. It's going out of bounds. And the kid catches, catches it, turns around, and throws it over his shoulder. And it goes in. Place goes nuts. They tie it up. And the play, my guys are dejected. Now, my assistant is Jamie Chadwin, who was a really good coach in itself, but he's 24. So we have a 29 and a 24-year-old standing there going, dude, did we just lo- lose? And, and Jamie's going, I think so. I'm like, we can't let them think that they're going to lose. We got to walk in there and tell them it doesn't matter. And we end up winning by five. But that is like the one play that I'll never forget. So you talk about your son being a very good player. How do you handle that? The coach in you, the father in you, he obviously has coaches and people working with him. Is that a difficult road to hoe? Because everybody's pulling in the same direction, but it, it can get can get dicey. I will tell you, it is the hardest thing in the entire world. It is. Um, it's funny because if he were here, I would love to put him on a seat and go in the other room and you ask him that question to see how he feels. I've coached him all the way through and, um, you know, in terms of AAU. So he played AAU at fourth grade and his story is a little bit unique because he was never really the best player. I mean, he was like the eighth, ninth, 10th. So as a third or fourth grader through eighth grade, I never really had to worry about it because he never was going to be at the end of the game or a seventh grade, I should say. Parents didn't worry about the coach playing their son too much because he just wasn't in that top five. Seventh grade to eighth grade, he really, really, you know, worked and got skilled and just took gigantic leaps. But in eighth grade, it was the first time I wasn't coaching him. He played CYO. He was an all-star. He ended up going to LaSalle for one year, and he played, you know, there. And, you know, he had a good experience there. But he transferred last year for his sophomore year to Pope John Paul. And um, the coach at Pope John Paul is Brendan Stanton, who played for me. So I promised Brendan that I was going to sit as far away as I can. And I was not, I didn't want him to feel like I was his coach and we have a really good relationship. And yet you're coaching my son. But I will tell you, it is the hardest thing for me to sit in the stands and not say anything and yell at him or like say, you know, what are you doing? Hustle. And, you know, we talk on the way home. And like I said, I, I made a commitment to him that I'm going to sit as high up as I can and to the far left. But um, it, it's, a, it's a great experience for me to see my son succeed. And that's all I really want for him. Don't know what level he's going to play. He could grow into a Division One Patriot-level player. He's a smart kid. He could be all the way down to being a really good Division Three player. But he's definitely, you know, in that range. And uh, I'm just proud of where, you know, he is now after starting – 
probably, I would say, a little slow back in fourth and fifth grade. Favorite part of being a coach? Is it, you talked about relationships, is it game day? Is it that moment when you realize you're going to win a game? Is it teaching at practice? If you had to put something at the top of the list, what would it be? It, the, if I, I mean, as soon as you asked the question, I knew what I was going to tell you, and it has nothing to do with basketball. I think my favorite part of coaching is what happened last Saturday. You know, I'm at the beach. Um, I have a beach house, fortunately. We've been here since quarantine. Um, and Cedric LB calls me and says, hey, I'm going to be, you know, down by where you are. What are you doing? Comes over to my house, his girlfriend. We made dinner, you know, and my family was here. And Cedric's 25 years old and a, a police officer in Baltimore. Um, just yesterday, Matt Johnson, you know, texted me saying he's on a fishing boat with all his like friends and, you know, where are you? I think it's really about like the relationships I have now with these guys, you know, play for me. I think I'm hard on them. I'm harsh at times, but they understand that we have a common goal, but for two hours, I'm that guy. But for the other 22 hours in the day, I want them to graduate. I want them to, to succeed in all that they do. And the most favorite, the favorite part for me is actually them becoming my friends. And I, and I think, you know, a younger me would have never thought it was going to be like this, but the gamut from the guys that just graduated at 23 to, like I said, Jolan Davis, who's 41, you know, it, it's hard for me. Sometimes Jolan will, will, will call and I'll pick up the phone. He'll be like, yo coach. And then sometimes I'll say, yo, John. And like, it's kind of like weird because I still answer to that, but I'm only really seven years older than him. You know, so I mean, so that's still my favorite part, what it's like afterwards. So that will do it for this episode of One on One. Want to thank Gwyneth Mercy men's basketball coach John Barron for being our guest. Glad to be back with you. We took a break for a few months here on One on One. Obviously couldn't have anyone in the studio. And frankly, I guess back in March, thought we'd be back in the studio by now. But uh, it's been too long since we've had some of these great conversations. So even though sports really up in the air, we're going to keep bringing you these great conversations uh, hopefully one a week here for the foreseeable future so want to thank you for listening if you want to help me out help out the podcast if you're listening on apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a review my name is matt leon and we will talk to you next time